These are iron filings being added to the food system. This is We're not talking about organic iron. And if people really want to get into the weeds of it, go out and get the book by Jim Moon, J-Y-M Moon, PhD, Iron, the Most Toxic Metal. And there are actually nine different forms of iron being added to the U.S. food system. How many of yeah. them cause cancer? All nine. No one is iron deficient. We've been tricked. Per our guest, Morley Robbins, who is on the show today, and he explains why no one is iron deficient and there's really some underlying causes that everyone has been misled into believing. Morley Robbins is most known as the Magnesium Man due to his extensive research and understanding of the role magnesium plays in our body and the iron connection. Morley has a BA in biology and holds an MBA from George Washington University and is trained in wellness coaching, nutritional counseling, and functional diagnostic nutrition. He is the founder of the Root Cause protocol. And Morley's extensive research discovered the intricate relationship between magnesium, iron, copper, and calcium and solutions to free ourselves from illness and disease. And he's here today to discuss one of the most controversial topics, and that is iron. Teeth sensitivity is the least of your concerns when whitening your teeth. The ingredients in teeth whitening bleach can actually damage the cells of our gums. It can also damage the nerves, blood vessels, and connective tissues of the tooth. Overuse of these chemicals can lead to tooth sensitivity and gum irritation. If whitening products are used incorrectly, the peroxide in the whitening gel can wear away tooth enamel and irritate the dental nerves. Another risk to teeth whitening is a chemical burn resulting in more severe pain and inflammation if the whitening product reaches the gums repeatedly. And there have been reports that whitening strips may even strip tooth enamel. And tooth enamel cannot be, and I quote, grown back or recovered. Tooth enamel is the hardest tissue in the body. Problem is, It's not living tissue, so it can't naturally be regenerated. Once it's gone, it's gone. That's why it's so important to care for your teeth. There's no recovery. Bite toothpaste bits have been in my household since summer of last year, and they also just came out with a teeth whitening kit, which I'm so excited about because I already love their toothpaste. Bites Teeth Whitening Kit is made without harmful chemicals and is safe for sensitive teeth. It's also cruelty-free, vegan, and lightly flavored with natural peppermint oil. Plus, it comes in a glass jar with a compostable applicator, so there's no alcohol, no propylene glycol, and no parabens or synthetic dyes or flavors. If you want to try this teeth whitening kit or any of Bite's natural toothpaste bits, Bite is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Just go to trybite.com slash digest or use code digest at checkout to claim this deal. 
If you're not subscribed to my newsletters, they come out every Friday and they're called Friday Finds. This is information that only my subscribers get in their inbox. I share stuff like non-toxic air fryers and kitchen appliances, new food finds, product recalls, food news, and food products that aren't even on the market yet. But I've got the scoop. This is not published anywhere else and cannot be found on my blog. So be sure you're in the know and subscribe to my weekly newsletters by going to littlesipper.com slash subscribe and enter your email. That's all you have to do. So go to com forward slash subscribe to get exclusive information on everything food. So welcome, Morley. Delighted to be here. <laughs> wait for this discussion. I am, I've been waiting and waiting and I to, to, to talk with you and to have you actually on the podcast. And the day has finally come and we're really going to go deep into iron, iron deficiency, and the a lot of misconceptions around iron. And there's a lot of controversy about it. So uh, I like to start off my podcast just head on with fiery questions and just get right into it. So first question why is it that so many people are iron deficient despite so many iron supplements on the market today, including added iron in quote, fortified products such as cereals, flowers, et cetera. So why are so many still deficient despite all that? Because we're using the wrong word to describe the situation. It isn't deficiency, it's iron dysfunction. So uh, what's important, you, you can't dispute the facts. And one of my good friends, uh, Joy Foster, who's a pastor in Maryland, has a great saying, missing information equals missing truth. And in the world of iron metabolism, the word that's missing, the information that's missing, is that copper is the general and iron is the foot soldier. That's not my idea. This is this is according to the, the annals of traditional Chinese medicine. That's how they regard copper and iron, general and foot soldier. And if you want a real crisp picture of, of what that's all about, picture the Battle of the Bulge without General Patton. Very different outcome would have ensued. And so people have been, um, as I call it, misled and misfed around iron because they've never been told about copper. And therein lies the problem. So iron is the master pro-oxidant on planet Earth. There's nothing better at rusting things than, than iron. Um, it's the number one element on planet Earth. 36% of the Earth's composition is composed of iron. Everyone loves to talk about, oh, just at the surface, it's the, the fourth most, it's like iron dominates this planet. It's big, there's a big iron ball in the center that people tend to forget about. So uh, it's important to have a sense of uh, how the body works with iron. And 70% of our iron is a waiter. 
carrying oxygen. It's called hemoglobin. Another 10% is called myoglobin. It too is a waiter, and that's carrying oxygen or storing oxygen in the muscles. So 80% of our iron is a very passive um, mechanism of carrying oxygen. What I would add parenthetically is nobody knows how oxygen gets inside the mitochondria. I think that's absolutely fascinating. The closest we've ever come is Wittenberg, Wittenberg, 2007, but nobody knows. So back to the story. So oxygen does get into the mitochondria in some mysterious way. And who's the chef? Because the whole basis of, of life on this planet is to turn oxygen into water to release energy. It's the most important chemical transaction on the planet. O2 plus the, the work of the cytochrome C oxidase enzyme inside our mitochondria, which brings in uh, four hydrogen protons and four electrons. And voila, we have two molecules of water. And that has to take place at the pH of seven. Well, it's a really important um, process that only copper can do. And only copper, it's the only element on the planet that can manage both iron and oxygen at the same time. And the thing is that when the mitochondria are not doing their job to create energy, the iron recycling program starts to break down. Because what we've got to do is turn the iron that's been carrying this oxygen into either heme or iron sulfur clusters. Well, both of those mechanisms, there's eight enzymes to make heme, four of them take place inside the mitochondria, they're copper dependent. The first and last enzyme are absolutely copper dependent. And the process to make heme, uh, excuse me, iron sulfur clusters relies on glutaredoxin 5, which is a copper dependent enzyme. And so these are the little niggly facts that no one seems to know about that are borne out in the science and the research. And at a macro level, to address your, your very poignant question at the beginning, every second of every day, we need to replace two and a half million red blood cells. Every second. We've been chatting now for about eight minutes, times 60, times two and a half million. And so this is an enormous function and focus of our metabolism is replacing those red blood cells so we can carry oxygen. And in the course of 24 hours, it's 2 trillion red blood cells that need to be replaced. But here's the, the really important part. In order to replace 2 trillion red blood cells, you need 25 milligrams of iron that's a paltry amount compared to the 5,000 that most people have inside their body. 25 milligrams. Mm. It's a little tiny bit. But here's the part that will blow your mind. 24 of those 25 milligrams come from a recycling program called the reticuloendothelial system. It took me two years to figure out that meant recycling. And that recycling program is dependent upon one doorway 
in the recycling macrophages, and there are these Pac-Men that gobble up the dying red blood cells, and they've got to spit the iron out, out the back door. It's called ferroportin, iron doorway, ferroportin. Ferroportin runs on the energy of copper. Hephaestin, which is a multi-copper oxidase, really important enzyme, or excuse me, not a multi, it's a ferrooxidase, forgive me, ferrooxidase, which means it's allowing iron to be turned from ferrous state plus two to ferric state plus three. So it can be attached to transferrin and get back to the uh, recycling program in the long bones of the body. And when hephaestin, the ferrooxidase enzyme is present, that process goes two and a half times faster than when it when ferrooxidase is not present. That's a big, big deal, two and a half times faster. And so the part that everyone doesn't understand is this recycling program and that the 95% of the iron is coming from this recycling program. And we live in a world that is very iron dominant and very cupro-fearing and People simply do not know how the body worked with iron, how absolutely in charge copper is. And the, probably the most important part of this uh, in terms of our dialogue is to understand that iron that shows up in the blood on the blood test is not indicative of iron that's in the tissue. That's so fascinating. Now, I want to take a pause here for a second because you, you mentioned so many different things here. And before we get too much into it, because I do want to talk about the difference that iron plays, like the difference between iron in the blood versus iron in the tissue. But before we do that, for those for those that are not all scientists, because I know you did reference a lot of scientific facts and different words and things like that, to put it really simplistic here... Um, so basically what you're saying is that we we are not iron deficient, but we are not able to utilize the iron we do have in our body because we are not taking in adequate enough copper or the copper is not in our diet. Now, just going really sim- simple here, can you can you explain a little bit of what iron actually does for the body. Obviously, you're saying it you know, makes energy and a lot of people say, I have low iron, that means I have low energy. So if someone is being told, oh, you need iron or you have low iron, what does that mean for that person in their mind? Again, just for the, the average soccer mom, they say, oh, I have low iron, that means I, I, I'm low on energy. And now is that simply the case? No, it's, it's programming. It's a, it's a narrative. And so the meme that runs medicine is you're anemic and you're copper toxic. And that is 180 degrees from the truth. The fact of the matter is, again, iron, master pro-oxidant, number one element on the planet. It's it, The vast majority of its function is passive as a waiter. And people get, you know, lost in this idea that low iron equals low energy. Iron does not make energy. 
Iron, the iron sulfur clusters are very important to build the, the respiratory proteins inside the mitochondria, right? But does, does, does the chassis of your car drive the car? No. You depend on the chassis. It's made of metal. It's made of iron. In the same way that the mitochondria has a chassis of iron sulfur clusters are really important. But they're not running the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so there's en there's enzyme processes that are catalytic that are depending upon copper. Copper is the sentient being in our body. Iron is a waiter. It's a very it's it's. I call it iron is inert. Copper is intelligent. There's a difference between being inert and being. So here's a here's a graphic example. We all have kitchens. And in that kitchen is a stove. All of us have a stove, right? And what's the stove made out of? It's made out of metal, usually iron. It's steel, or a lot of it is steel. Here's the question. Does the stove know what to cook? Does the stove know what pot to get out? Does the stove know what temperature to put the iron oven on? No, no. There's a, there's a cuisine artist. We've got to spell it right. See you, so we see the copper cuisine artist, the chef, who makes all those decisions. And the, the most amazing thing is when you get into the mitochondria and you really study the respiratory complexes and you get to complex four, most important, most important complex on the planet, because that's where oxygen becomes water. It turns out that the heme A and heme A3. They're the stove that holds oxygen. It's really important. Just like the stove holds your pot. Stove holds oxygen. And the copper, as the catalytic agent, slices and dices that O2 and turns it into 2H2O because of its enormous capacity for transformation. And that is what is completely lost on um, medicine and mainstream thinking is we we have been taught we've been trained like circus bears to believe that low iron equals low energy that is not factually true low copper in the blood does not mean low copper in the tissue what is completely lost on medicine and society is that we have 40 quadrillion mitochondria in our body. That's 15 zeros. That's a lot of mitochondria. The average cell has 500 mitochondria. Go back to your high school biology textbook. There was a picture of a cell, and there was two or three mitochondria in it. That, what we didn't know was that that picture was drawn by Walt Disney. It had nothing to do with reality. The average, the average liver cell 2,000 mitochondria, kidney cell, 4,000, heart cell, 10,000, mature egg in a woman's body, 600,000 mitochondria. And there are brain regions where each neuron has over 2 million mitochondria. Well, no one told us that. And then the part that they never told us is that each mitochondria, based on the pioneering and penetrating research of Paul Cobine at Auburn University, each 
mitochondria has 50,000 atoms of copper. We're starting to get into some big numbers. Yeah. But, the, but the bottom line is it only takes 100 milligrams of copper. That fits on the head of a one-inch stick pin, okay? 100 milligrams of copper to regulate 5,000 milligrams of iron. And we're back to generals and foot soldiers. And the, the thing is, we've never been taught about the general. Okay, so you're saying that really we don't have an iron deficiency. We have a copper deficiency. We have a copper deficiency and we have iron dysregulation. So basically, again, just to sum up here, everyone, to, to give your kitchen an uh, analogy here, everyone has a stove in them, which is the iron. They already have the stove, but they're missing the copper, which is the chef. So without the chef, they can't cook anything. But of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you need the stove, which is the iron, to cook. And without the chef, they, they, they can't. So you need both. And what's really happening here in today's society and today's um, population is that everyone has the, has the stove, but, but not the chef. And so again, everyone has iron, but they don't have the copper. So let's, let's put a punctuation on that. They started, they started adding iron filings to our food system, to wheat flour, in 1941. Yeah, and I want to get into that because why? Why did they start doing that? Because there was a perception that women who were pregnant were low in iron when, in fact, it was a misunderstanding of how the, the body works with iron in pregnancy. And so they started adding iron. Then in 1969... They wanted to increase it 300%. And the FDA backed off their stance and only increased it 50%. Everything is iron fortified. Everything, all supplements, what have you. I'll give you $1,000, Bethany, for everything you can find that has copper being added to it. You won't find anything. And in fact, what you're going to discover very quickly is that the farming system, the food system, and the pharmaceutical system are uniquely aligned in one target, lower the amount of copper on the planet. So you think they purposely want to lower the copper because they know what's happening? That would be outrageously presumptuous of me. I'm a very curious George. And when I realized that, that glyphosate chelates copper a billion times faster than it chelates magnesium, 100,000 times faster than it chelates zinc, I'm like, Wow, that's interesting that high fructose corn syrup is unique in its ability to block copper uptake in our digestive tract. That, that a recent article that a colleague sent to me this week, I've known intuitively that antibiotics were not our friend because of its impact on copper. Well, this particular article from, I think it was from 2012, proves, proves that antibiotics block the front door and the garage door to let copper into our health cells. And people don't, people are like, wait, no, that couldn't be. But it, but it's in the literature. And so, yes, I think there is an active suppression of copper and there's an active promotion of iron. And we're being manipulated by that 
disconnect between those two metals. And to continue to make us sick and to continue to get pharmaceuticals and keep basically the general public blind to really what's happening and what we truly need for our health. This is just so interesting. For a while, I was struggling with sleep, which was then affecting my ability to think clearly and perform my daily work. I was also getting trembles and even anxiety just from the lack of sleep. I also couldn't do normal daily tasks like grocery shopping or do multiple errands, not to mention the migraines from only two to three hours a night of sleep. It was taking a toll on me and I even considered sleeping medication. I was already a consumer of Ned's original CBD, but then they came out with their sleep blend. So I decided to give that a try. Ned Sleep Blend contains not only CBD, but also CBN, which has shown in studies to specifically help sleep. Other organic botanicals shown to help sleep are also added, such as lemon balm and passionflower. All these ingredients work cohesively, creating the perfect blend to help anyone struggling with sleep, including myself. I just take a full dropper under my tongue 30 minutes before I want to go to bed for a restful night's sleep. This is organic certified, outdoor grown, and made in small batches. Ned believes in full transparency and happily shares third-party lab reports right on their website. That's just another reason why I love Ned CBD. I personally consume it and even recommend it to my family. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code DIGEST. Go to helloned.com slash digest or enter code DIGEST at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash digest to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering my listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. What are some side effects, I guess I could say, of too much iron because of course everyone's taking in iron, iron this, iron that, thinking that I'm low on iron and now everyone's overloaded on iron. So what are some side effects from that? Well, just it's the, um, people are probably familiar with the Merck manual. It's the, it's the Bible of, of medicine or I think it's like 32,000 conditions are described. Well, every one of those conditions starts with oxidative stress. The oxygen is not being properly activated. And when it doesn't get activated, there are what's called oxidants, accidents with oxygen. The oxygen isn't being fully turned into water. It becomes superoxide, and that's an oxygen molecule with an extra electron, and it's got a really bad attitude about it. And then that superoxide becomes hydrogen peroxide, and then that hydrogen peroxide becomes the most powerful biomolecule on the planet, hydroxyl radical. Well, those three oxidants are what drive the dysfunction on the planet. And they're at the center of every condition you've ever heard of, playing out in different parts of the body, different metabolic pathways. But it's all, and the reason for the name of my book, Cure Your Fatigue, is that when you can't make energy, you have energy deficiency, which we call fatigue. What's the number one reason why people go see their doctor? They're tired, they're fatigued. Number one reason, hands down, 
really the number one is just because they're tired. Because they're tired. And the, and the problem is the doctors, doesn't matter what faith and persuasion they are, what degrees after their name, they don't know how energy is made. And they're focused on the enemies, the pathogens, the toxins, the heavy metals, the whatever. And the, the hue and cry of the root cause protocol is ignore the enemies, ignite the energy. That's what this was all about. Because once our body and our immune system has energy, it knows exactly what to do. It, it absolutely snaps to, and it can regulate the metabolic activity that needs to take place in order to keep us in homeostasis. So here's an example. Have you ever been on a boogie board? Like if you're gonna go skiing, right? Yeah. So it takes a lot of energy to stay in balance. If you go down on one side or the other, no energy required. But to stay in balance requires energy. Mm -hmm. And that's how our body works. To stay in, in balance, we need to be able to produce lots of energy. We produce our body weight in ATP every day. That's a lot of energy in order to stay in balance. And the fundamental mechanism is turning oxygen into energy with a minimal amount of what are called oxidants or reactive oxygen species, depending upon what uh, flavor you like to use. And, and one of the most profound um, insights that I had, based on my research, not, not, not me, but just I, I'm good at connecting the dots. I, I met recently with a world-renowned expert, Rick Johnson, uh, who's a specialist in uh, urology, but he specializes in uric acid. And I'm there with my wife and a friend of ours who, who knew Rick. And we're having lunch and I swallowed hard. And I said, you know, Rick, I think if we're not making ATP, we're making uric acid. And he said, you're absolutely right. And just to distill it down for folks, uric acid is the absolute ultimate exhaust of a cell that can't make energy. And it's desperately trying to find phosphates to make it available to the cell as it degrades into uric acid. And I think that's one of the most profound dichotomies in the body. We're not making ATP, we're making uric acid. And here's what I think you and your listeners are gonna find fascinating. How do you, what's the last key steps to make uric acid? You gotta have iron and you gotta have an enzyme called xanthine oxidase, it's called exo, so iron and exo make uric acid. And uric acid is the antithesis of energy. And so this idea that we need more iron to make energy is just biochemically such a violation of the truth that it's like, you know, fingernails against the chalkboard. Yeah, well, that's something that I see doctors do a lot, like you had mentioned. They're not really addressing, they're not taking out other things that could be uh, causing the issue. They're just adding things that they think would help. That's right. Because they, they don't, again, I have an organizing paradigm to my work. How do we optimize energy? That's really what it's all about. And, and I really, I don't worry about the pathogens because I know that in a, in a body that has optimal energy production because it has optimal bioavailable copper, emphasis on bioavailable, 
body knows exactly what to do. It really does. And so people have been trained to think that it's really complicated. It's really mysterious. There's layers and layers and layers and layers. It's like, no, it's actually pretty straightforward. And, and more people need to know the fact that the, the contemporary narrative is just that. It's a lie. And Mother Nature is all about homeostasis, all about energy, all about having the viability of the you know, metabolic pathways to keep us in balance. Yeah, yeah. And would you say that too much iron actually ages us from the inside out? A friend of mine uh, has a great expression based on on our conversations. He said, Morley, I kind of think that iron is a prescription for aging. And I said, wow, Gil, that's brilliant. And so, yeah, it it is. There, There is a famous study from 2013 called the Nine Hallmarks of Aging. I'm blanking on the author's name. It's, it's since been updated now, just in the last couple of months, in 2023. It's called the 12 Hallmarks of Aging. And they're all caused by excess iron. I mean, it's just every one of them, all the hallmarks of aging. And again, what people don't realize is that aging, the word aging, is a polite way of saying iron accumulation. Here, here's the part that a lot of people don't know about. Um, and this is this is not my my theory. This is the iron biologists on the planet. People like Robert Crichton or Douglas Kell or Jamie Collins or people of that, just these luminaries in the in the world of iron metabolism. We accumulate one one milligram of iron every day we're on the planet. Well I, I celebrated my 70th birthday back in November last year. So I've got about 25, 26,000 milligrams of iron in my body. I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm going to guess half my age. And um, the, the key is you have half as much iron as I've got. And, and you've got the added advantage. You're a woman. Do you, do you know there's only two reasons why women outlive men? Two reasons. One, women are smarter. That's a biological fact. All right, I'll agree with that. <laughs> okay. And two, women have a monthly blood loss. They're dumping iron mm. every month. And the guy who figured that out, Jerry Sullivan, who is a famous MD, PhD pathologist in Florida, he he published an article in Lancet. Lancet is the top, it's it's right up there at the very top of the pecking order. Uh, in 1983, it was just a few years out of medical school, and he had this insight that, oh my gosh, the reason why women outlive men is because they're dumping iron. Changed the world of cardiology, turned it wow. on, and created the, the iron heart hypothesis, which is still debated here 40 years later. But, but Jerry Sullivan was right. It's iron accumulation in our cells, in our tissue, they can't get unreleased, can't, can't get released because there's not enough bioavailable copper to open the doorway. So, so central. Well, that makes so much sense because I've heard uh, time and time again that you should actually give blood to release some and, and you'll feel better and all of that stuff. And so I know, you know, people, they give blood in like maybe every four months or whatever. And so obviously they're almost like doing the same thing that a woman would do with her cycle. 
and just releasing it. So that's so interesting. Now, again, I want to go back to the difference between iron in the blood versus iron in the tissue. The study that really changed my understanding was by world-renowned physiologist uh, Bruce Ames. Uh, for, for the bulk of his career, he was at UC Berkeley, <clears throat> and he and his colleague, uh, David Kalilia, um did a major study in 2004 looking at the difference between iron in the tissue versus iron in the blood. There was a tenfold difference. Tenfold. And so when people get back these blood tests, and, oh, I'm doctor says I'm anemic. I, I smile. I say, relax. You know, what, what, what we lack is the ability to measure iron in the tissue conveniently. You can do it. You can do a, a needle biopsy of the liver, or you can do um, Tesla, Tesla 2 MRIs. Um, they're very precise, but they're also very expensive. But they're very accurate at, at telling people how much iron do you have in your liver, in your heart, in your kidney, in your pancreas, in your brain. And it's, it's an emerging um, field of, of uh, discovery now. In fact, there's a company out of Australia called Feriscan, F-E-R-R-I-S-C-A-N, and they have MRIs all over the world now that are being used to assess iron status, in, in large part for people who have what's called hemochromatosis. But I would encourage anyone to find out how much iron do you have in your key organs. Yeah, well, because if you're getting a test, it's basically most all tests you do with the blood. And if they say, well, you have low iron, they only tested your blood. They didn't test your, your tissues and organs. They didn't touch your organs. And the other side of it is I've got a, a blood test called the Full Monty Iron Panel. And it looks at not just iron, it's looking at magnesium in the red blood cell, at zinc, at copper, at ceruloplasmin, it's looking at vitamin A and D, it's looking at uric acid. And it's a really important, really important for people to know that there is a, a role that uric acid plays to tell us what's the iron status in this body. And is it too high? Is it too low? Because it can be too low. Because what can happen is the body will flip uric acid into ammonia, trying to make up for the increased acidity of the of the tissue. Absolutely fascinating. But but the important point is there are ways to get beyond the simplicity and the deception of a simple iron blood test. You've got to be very careful that in, in my world, based on my research uh, or my distillation of the research, there is no such thing as anemia on this planet. I just I I refuse to believe it. And I've had too many clients who've been labeled anemic, bounce back and find out that they can, in fact, restore their homeostasis around iron when they have more focus around the nutrients of the root cause protocol. Wow. And then, so would you say those clients just started implementing more copper or were there other things that they were doing? Oh, yeah. The, the, the protocol looks at, the, the macro intent of the protocol is to increase bioavailable copper and we do that by putting minerals back into the diet, especially into the water, having whole food vitamin C, getting natural sources of B vitamins, special emphasis on magnesium and boron and copper. 
and really building into the into the program regular uh, bloodletting as you as you alluded to we encourage people to do it quarterly and even for women who are still cycling a couple times a year it's a great tonic to invigorate the body to rebuild itself you, mm-hmm. you lose a, a pint of blood and the body's going to going to work to to regain its uh, homeostasis yeah. Well, let's talk about too, because I did have a question about testing. So can someone test copper and the copper in their body? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, a lot of people have relied on hair tests, which I don't, I, I use them regularly. I, I think they're very uh, helpful to give a, a broad context to what's going on. But what people need to understand about a hair test is that, um, The first thing they do after you send your hair sample in, they snip up the hair sample into little tiny pieces and then they burn it. So they've oxidized the metal. So what we're seeing is the plus two state of the metal. Well, zinc only has one state, which is plus two. Copper has three or four. Iron has five or six. Manganese has five. And so we're getting a fixed image of one uh, um, balance of the metal, which is not accurate. So you have to be really careful of what the hair test is telling us. A lot of people have been told that they are iron, or excuse me, copper toxic based on a hair test. And, and it's a misleading statement because they're not factoring in the impact that ascorbic acid has, the impact of hormone replacement therapy has, the impact of of, um, antibiotics have. So there's a lot of potential for distortion there. Can you be copper toxic though? Well, technically no. And people will think I'm mad when I say that. Um, But the the copper biologist, um, Svetlana Lutsenko would be among the most qualified or Ashley Bush down in in Australia. Um, No. The, the amount of, quote, unbound copper in the cell is 0.2101. It's, it's called zeptomolar. It's, there's no, there is no unbound copper in the cell. Now, what, what people are being um, led to believe is that um, the copper that's showing up in a blood test if it's above 100, oh, you're, you're copper toxic. Well, it's not that simple. Um, again, 99% of copper is in our tissue. Only 1% is in the blood. And what doctors are doing is taking that 1% sample, putting an electron microscope on it, and making sweeping and incorrect, I would add, incorrect statements about what's going on in the body. And again, the question that's not being asked in a blood test around copper is why is the copper that's supposed to be bound to the copper protein ceruloplasmin, why is it outside that protein? Very important question. It's Mm -hmm. never asked. And so the, the term copper toxicity is a derivative of a phrase that was coined by uh, a famous uh, physician, and I'm blanking on his name right now, um, 
but I'll, but I'll think of it in a minute. Yeah. But, but the point is, in the 60s, he wrote a very important book called Mental and Elemental Nutrients. And he talked about copper and, and what he coined as the copper-zinc ratio. Well, prior to that, no one ever talked about copper and zinc. It was always about copper and iron. All the great scientists and, and clinicians, Otto Warburg, Hans Krebs, um, Conrad Eldium, um, Weinberg, Schultz, I mean, these, these are just names to people, but these are amazing uh, physicians and, clinici and clinicians and scientists. And they were focused on copper and iron. The, the zinc didn't didn't come into the scene until Carl Pfeiffer, that's who I was trying to think of. Mm -hmm. Carl Pfeiffer came on the scene. And he in a very critical article, he described when copper becomes unbound from ceruloplasmin, key phrase, copper becomes unbound. And that became unbound copper. And then it got flipped to copper toxicity. So are you saying that really we can't, I mean, can someone overload on copper? Because I don't, I don't want my my listeners to like now, you know, leave this uh, podcast and be like, oh, I'm just going to load up on copper because then that that could also cause an issue too. So we want to make sure, you know, everything is balanced here. here. Here's what's amazing. Over the years, I've been absolutely amazed at how people think nothing of, of taking a bucket full of vitamin D and then worry about taking a little extra magnesium or think nothing about getting an iron infusion, getting a bolus of 250 milligrams of iron, which is it's an insane amount of iron. We need one milligram a day. And they get, they get almost a year's worth of iron in one shot. Think nothing of it. And then they, they wring their hands well, I don't, I don't know whether I should take copper or not. And so a colleague of mine from Russia, guy is absolutely brilliant. I just know him as John Coco. I don't know his real name. That's just, that's how he's kind of a, he sends me really amazing articles. But he's, he lives in Russia. I know that. He sent me some information yesterday that blew my mind. He was talking about the amount of copper that goats and cows and horses are, are meant to take every day. Well, goats are supposed to take 10 milligrams of copper a day, cow, 20 milligrams of copper. What would you guess the amount of copper for a horse is every day? Oh, gosh, I have no idea, but they're huge animals. So. They're big, right. They're, on average, they weigh about 1,000 pounds. They're supposed to take 100 milligrams of copper. It's like, whoa, that's a lot of copper. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a, so here's here's the part that's really funny. The average human weighs 150 pounds. Do you know what our RDA is? It's 0 0.9 milligrams. Well, wait a minute. You know, the average goat weighs about 60, 60 pounds. And it's getting 10 milligrams. Mm. <laughs> so, like, the, the, the numbers are, see, the thing is, everyone knows what they know. They don't know what they don't know. Well, back in the 30s, 20s and 30s, it was very common to get four to six milligrams of copper in the average daily diet. Today, we get this much because of glyphosate and because of high fructose corn syrup, and because of the distortions. There's, there's something in food called tyrosinase inhibitors. Well, people don't know what tyrosinase is. Well, that tyrosinase is what gives us our pigment. So it gives us our skin color, our eye color, our hair color. 
And and it's not just that. It, it, it does so much more inside the body. It colors everything. But the thing is, if you've got a tyrosinase inhibitor, well, what, what runs tyrosinase? Copper batteries. Mm. <laughs> two, two coppers inside tyrosinase. And, and if tyrosinase doesn't have its copper, you can't color the body. And so tyrosinase inhibitors really disrupt our body's ability to mind the store, if you will. And so we've been led down this path of parsimonious, you know, take taking up of copper and drown yourself in iron, help yourself, don't worry about it, don't even think about it. And it's like, do people not realize the game that's being played on this planet? That yeah. everything is everything is switched now? So iron infusions that people get. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just like harming their body more with the iron infusions. Absolutely, because they don't understand iron recycling and they don't understand the difference between iron in the blood and iron in the tissue. They are completely different. And it's important to understand that in order to get iron from the tissue back into the blood, it's a copper-dependent process. Yeah, this is information people really, really need to know. Um, now, I I have a question for you. So um, I did a post on my Instagram about a couple months ago showing Cheerios and how we extracted iron particles from the cereal. And it that post just blew up, but not in a good way. <laughs> I had nutritionists, doctors, and health gurus calling me out uh, saying how for lack of a nicer word, how stupid I was for saying that the iron in Cheerios was not good for us. And it just kind of blew my mind that all these, you know, quote, nutritionists and doctors were saying how horrible this post was and I was giving out misinformation and Cheerio the iron in Cheerios is good for you. And so what's your take on that? It, the You were absolutely right. And, and I salute you for your courage and your conviction to do that. And those... Uh, Professionally trained nutritionists and doctors should be ashamed of themselves and ashamed of their training because I've talked to hundreds of those professionals and I've told them, I said, I'll give you a thousand dollars every time you heard the word ceruloplasma in your training. I've never had to give out any money yet. And so they don't know, they, they don't know what they don't know. And their, their education has been very carefully scripted. And what we know from March of 2020, a lot of things changed a few years ago. And we know we're on a very evil planet with all sorts of evil intent. And let's not tiptoe around it. We we know what's going on. We don't need to talk about it. We just know it's there. Mm -hmm. One of the markers that's used in blood testing uh, that's very confusing is called serum ferritin. Mm -hmm. You've heard of it. And the world changed in 1972 when a very prestigious group of hematologists in London, Jacobs et al., British Medical Journal, 1972, said, let's move the spotlight for measuring iron status from hemoglobin, let's move it over to ferritin. And that was the significance of that study. The world has never been the same. And so what people don't know, again, we don't know what we don't know. I, I was having a, a very important conversation four years ago with a world-renowned iron biologist named Douglas Kell luminary in the field, very affable guy about my age uh, at the University of Manchester. He's got a wall of books behind him. And I, I asked him a very important question. We were, we were on a Skype call and I said, Dr. Kell, 
what's the ideal ferritin in a human body? And he smiles and he says, zero. And I went, what? And he said, Morley, I want to make sure you understand this. He said, rising ferritin in the blood is not a sign of iron vitality. It is a sign of organ pathophysiology. Do you understand what I just said? I said, yes, sir, I do. And this is not taught in doctor school. They're taught that the ferritin protein in the blood is, is it's a sign of iron storage in the uh, tissue. Wink, wink. And if you believe that, I've got to use BMW and a bridge I'd love to sell you. But the truth of the matter is, on that team of Jacobs et al., was a very important player, Woodard, another very important player named Arosio, another player, two husband and wife team, Torty Torty. These are all scientists who have been documenting the fact that the ferritin in the blood is empty. It's, it's empty shotgun shells, and the iron has been dumped in the liver before the protein gets secreted into the bloodstream. Now, we're getting into some very sophisticated uh, physiology right now. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, those nutritionists and those doctors are dead wrong. I will debate them publicly. And I can cite chapter and verse the research that they don't know, because they are harming people. And just to, just to punctuate it, my roommate from college, really smart guy, his name is Dave. And Dave's grandfather, his father, and his wife were physicians. And a number of years ago, before my uh, oldest daughter got married, I was chatting with Dave, and, and he was going to be coming to her wedding. And then we uh, connected at the wedding. He just didn't look right. I said, Dave, what's going on? He said, I don't know. I'm really run down. I'm tired. I said, well, why don't you get my blood test, the full Monty iron panel, and let's take a look. Well, his ferritin was 750. And his father and wife, because his grandfather passed away, but his father and wife, they didn't think anything of it. I said, dude, 750, are you kidding? I said, I said, do a blood donation immediately. And then I asked a really important question. Dave has a very nasty habit that I remembered from our days in college. I said, are you still snacking on Cheerios? <laughs> he said, yes. I said, stop that immediately. His ferritin dropped 250 points just on stopping the Cheerios. Wow, amazing. A, fer a ferritin, a ferritin, I get nervous when it's over 20, but a ferritin over 300 for a guy is severe inflammation in the liver. Well, he dropped his points. He was still at 500 just by dropping the Cheerios. And then it started to come down as he started to do the blood donations. Again, these are iron filings being added to the food system. This is We're not talking about organic iron. And if people really want to get into the weeds of it, go out and get the book by Jim Moon, J-Y-M Moon, PhD, Iron, the Most Toxic Metal. And there are actually nine different forms of iron being added to the U.S. food system. How many of yeah. them cause cancer? All nine. And people have no idea what they've done to our food system. And I'm so 
proud of you for raising this and having the, the conviction to come back at it again, even after the rebuke that I'm sure you took publicly for what you did. For sure. This, this, we are in a spiritual war, Bethany. That, there's no other way to describe it. It's a battle of truth versus evil. And I made a solemn pledge to tell the truth about 40 years ago. Now, I've made mistakes. I'm human. I'm, I'm, I'm very quick to admit it. But I will go out of my way to back up what I understand to be the truth. And for some reason, I had this epiphany 15 years ago to research minerals and find out what, what the what's the drumbeat of our innate healer. And what I've come to conclude, and it's laid out in my book, Cure Your Fatigue, is it's bioavailable copper. And it's the greatest secret on planet Earth. And the greatest lie on planet Earth is we're anemic and we need more iron. And that has got to stop. I have so many things running through my mind right now, but going back just for a second, for the Cheerios, what are they adding? What kind of, like you said, they're adding iron filings to Cheerios or fortified flour or crackers or whatever. What kind of iron is that? Well, in 1941, it was iron filings. That's a fact. That is an established fact. I think it would take an act of God for the annals of food processing to tell you what they're actually doing. Mm -hmm. We have put so much faith in the food processing industry. We have no idea what we're eating. We don't know what we don't know what Big Agra has done to food by virtue of what they've done to the soil. We, we really don't, you know, well, I got my food at Whole Foods. Yeah, right. Years ago, Dr. Liz's office was down the street, just across the street, actually, from a Whole Foods up in Evanston, Illinois. And we got to know the staff there pretty well. And we actually got to know the head chef. His name is Izzy. So one day we walked in and here's Izzy at the, at the hot bar, you know, this big, long line of food. And I walked up to Izzy and um, said, hi. And I said, you know, I, I've always wanted to ask you this question. He said, what's that? I said, of all this food that you're looking over, what, what part of it's organic? And Izzy got very quiet and, and looked down at his crocs. And I leaned in. I said, Izzy, is any of it organic? And in a very hushed voice, he said, I think the olive oil is. And people don't realize that Whole Foods is industrial grade food sold at organic prices. Of course. I mean, well, even our produce today, just the soil depletion of the minerals and nutrients in the soil when we're eating, you know, a carrot today versus a carrot 200 years ago is completely different because it's just depleted of, of nutrients from the soil. So people have got to ask better questions and they've got to demand better answers. And this mainstream narrative is dead, as far as I'm concerned. It has no integrity. That, that people need to question anyone from that class that criticized you the other day, where were they three years ago? Which side of the fence were they really taking three years ago? That, to me, is the acid test question. And I think it was a defining moment for society. And, and now we're, we're witnessing untold devastation to humanity because of what happened. People need to know I've renamed what COVID stands for. COV stands for coppers vanished, and ID stands for irons dysregulated. It is impossible to get 
myocarditis or pericarditis if you have copper in your heart. It is impossible. Wow. And there's a lot of research to back that up. And so there's some really um, significant events that are taking place that people just aren't aware of because we live in this very pharaoh-centric world, all about iron, in a very cupro ignorant world. We we just think that we're we got to be careful of copper because it's going to be cause toxicity, and the truth is just the opposite. Wow! So you you bring up some really good points now. Um, if someone is iron deficient or, you know, quote, iron deficient, that that's what their doctor told them. And um, now they're listening to this podcast and they're kind of rethinking things. What would what would your recommendation be the next step into balancing out the copper? Are there any supplements? Are there any foods? How can they, you know, move forward from there? No, it's a great question. I, I think several things. One, I've got, I've, I've got over 200 uh, conversations online you know, a whole bunch of podcasters, probably 25 or 30 podcasters. A lot of people have tried to bump me off my my base, uh, but they haven't done it yet. I don't think they will. Um, I've got on the rcp123.org website, that's the main root cause protocol website, there's 81 posts on iron toxicity. I have five or six articles just on this topic alone and, I, and within each of those articles is four to six scientific articles describing why I'm right and the narrative is wrong. So I would encourage people to, to dig a little deeper. If you want to go one step farther, I would encourage people to get, get the book, either in physical or audio. Um, go to your favorite purveyor. You know, what I think is really funny, people, I don't, I'll, I don't want to buy it on Amazon. We're, I'll go to Abe, not knowing that Abe is owned by Amazon, but but go go get go get the copy of the book and dig deep. The first half of the book is what's the problem. And it's going to go into a lot of detail about what we're talking about. Then another step would be in the back half of the book is the protocol, the root cause protocol, and immerse yourself in that thinking. And then I would encourage people to get the blood test. It's called the full Monty. Iron panel. You can get it at request a test. Requestatest.com. Correct. Requestatest.com. Okay. And just put in full Monty Iron Panel and it'll pop up. Full Monty Iron Panel. Okay. Full Monty. And they can, you know, they can work with a, a root cause protocol consultant and you can find those folks online. Or you can just in, interpolate what you think looks right. I would encourage you to get some professional guidance though. And then I would step into the protocol. There's phases. There's there's a whole series of stops. And there's three phases. Phase one, two, and three. I would just have people start the phases. The, the thing is, Bethany, I get I get emails, I get calls from people all over the world thanking me for saving their life. I don't know who these people are. Somehow they've learned of a podcast or they've gone to the website or they've gotten the book. And, and it's like, Wow, I'm I'm humbled beyond belief by what this has done. The, the ripple effect on challenging, excuse me, challenging this narrative has been profound, and I'm really honored to do it. And I think there needs to be greater awareness about this. And I'm very grateful to you and and your colleagues who are very gracious to let me 
have this, these types of conversations because we are being poisoned on this planet and people need to know what the base of it is. This has been evolving over the last century. The real changes took place just before the Second World War. And so we just need to be mindful of that and begin to take action to reverse this process that we've been under that we just didn't know about. Wow. Yeah. Those are great recommendations. Thank you so much, Morley. And I'm really going to have to have you back because uh, we have so much more to dig into and it's just, we couldn't cover it in all just one hour. But um, before you leave, if there's any, again, any recommendation or any one last words you could give to my listeners here. Again, I, I would just encourage people to ask better questions, demand better answers, uh, my wife and I just recently saw The Wizard of Oz on Mother's Day. I, I don't know what Wizard of Oz has to do with Mother's Day, but it was amazing to see it on the big screen. I'd never seen it on the big screen before. So it was so powerful. And what I want to tell people is that the talking head in that movie, uh -huh. that's the internet. You got to question that. We got to question the internet. It is not necessarily in our best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things on the internet that you really have to dig deep, myself included, where I'm just like, there's so many research papers and this, that, and the other about just one agenda where if you really want to find, I guess you could say the truth, you really have to dig deep and sometimes they're, they're hiding it. So you have to go into actual books that have been published, you know, eons ago, because it's easy for the internet to just Remove something real quick. The most important research I've found has been from the 1910s, 20s, and 30s. And we've been taught what's new. And a very important consultant taught me to ask, what's enduring? Mm. What's the longstanding truth that runs this planet? And that's what got me back to iron and oxygen and copper. And it's a very important um, juxtaposition of questions what's enduring. That's what we need to be focusing on. Mm, great question. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marley. We'll have to have you back soon. Look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of Digest This comes one of Apple Podcasts' top 10 nutrition shows, hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. 
Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.